are listening to episode 26 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 62, Greenfield System, March 12, 2373. Our voyage back to Diurnia got underway smoothly enough. Ms. Maloney organized a movie rotation for the evenings with a feature film each night. Most of the passengers attended. Ms. Arioni and the younger Ms. Lockhart got their headphones together over their personal music collections. Ms. Hawkshaw pleased me immensely by corralling the earnest young Mr. Herring by the second night out of Greenfields. He appeared to enjoy her attention. My only real problem involved trying to figure out which of my faithful crew was selling gossip to the newsies. Ms. Maloney and I discussed it, but making sure the crew didn't compare notes about the different stories was a naughty problem. I developed the horrible image of convincing each of them of something dreadful, only to have them get their heads together so all three stories appeared in the press. As I prepared to relieve Mr. Herring for the evening watch, I couldn't help but wonder what the real harm was. Even the horrible publicity over the Du Bois incident seemed to have worked out in our favor. While it felt a bit dodgy to have a member of my crew telling stories out of school, once I got over the sense of betrayal, I couldn't really think of a downside. The press already knew Ms. Maloney's secret, and the resulting gossip generated more business for us. I climbed the ladder to the bridge at 1740 to give myself a few minutes with Mr. Herring before I relieved the watch. He gave me a look that I couldn't quite interpret, something between relief and dread. Mr. Herring, everything okay up here? Oh, yes, sir. On course and on time, sir. He scanned his board once more to make sure he hadn't missed anything. I slipped into one of the extra seats in front of the consoles. So how's the voyage so far, Mr. Herring? What do you mean, sir? There was a note of caution in his voice. Miss Hawkshaw seems to be keeping you busy, Mr. Herring. Are you okay? He looked a bit embarrassed and a little guilty. A flush of color crept up his ears. She's... He thought hard for a long time before adding, Lonely, sir. And are you okay being her companion for this voyage, Mr. Herring? I tried to look him in the eyes, but he wouldn't look at me. She seemed rather persistent. You don't have to do anything you're not comfortable with, you know. He looked up at me, alarm in his voice. No, that is, no, sir. She's really fun to be with, and it's kind of nice not going back to an empty compartment. He realized what he said and colored even more. The way his hands twitched, I feared for the stability of the ship should he take hold of the helm to steady them. I took some pity on him. Mr. Herring, enjoy yourself as long as she's up for the game, but remember we'll be in Diurnia in a few days and she'll be going ashore. Yes, sir, I got that part. She reminds me all the time. Well, as long as you're having fun. I left that open and he nodded shyly. My only other suggestion is clip your fingernails. Sir? He looked very confused. Clip your nails, Mr. Herring. You'll be glad you did. He still didn't understand, but I saw him grab a glance at his fingers. Let's relieve the watch, Mr. Herring. You've got a busy night ahead. Looking relieved to be off the subject, he rapidly swapped the logs over and stood up from the chair. I took the seat, and he escaped down the ladder. I'd done what I could, but as long as both parties were willing, there wasn't much else I could do. I was just grateful he was too busy with Miss Hawkshaw to be sniffing after the younger Miss Lockhart. With the watch relieved, I ran through the various ship status displays and assured myself we were in position, on course, and on time. The ship looked fine, so I dropped down the ladder to join the dinner mess at 1800. Miss Maloney had outdone herself with little individually dished onion soups for openers, a lovely beef en croute for the main course, and small dishes of ice cream for dessert. Each meal, I marveled at her ability to balance textures and weights. 
The ice cream made a perfect finish for the substantial soup and beef courses. Conversation around the table bordered on Jolly, and even the elder Miss Lockhart seemed to enjoy the company. She'd been reticent and retiring, almost nervous, when she came aboard, but she relaxed after a few days. As nice as it was to watch the byplay, duty called, so I returned to my watch as soon as I finished eating. We rode the beam all the way out to the Burleson limit and jumped on the 17th. I only had a couple of days after that to finish preparing for ratings exams. Miss Maloney had a bit of a scheduling problem when it came time for her exam. Spec 1 takes several stands, and she needed to fit it in between breakfast and luncheon. Miss Arioni and I volunteered to clean up the mess deck after breakfast, and she made up the lunch mess in advance, so when she reported to the cabin to take her Spec 1 chef exam right after breakfast, she had until almost noon to finish it. In the end, she passed with flying colors. It wasn't a perfect score, but it was well above passing, and I immediately conferred upon her the rank and title appropriate to her new rating. Being the owner of the vessel, I could make those kinds of executive decisions, and I smiled in satisfaction at making that one. Ms. Arioni had the afternoon bridge watch, and I arranged the Spec 1 ship handler exam so she could take it in the engineering console. I sat in the pilot's chair to cover her watch while she waded through the test. It took her from 1300 until almost 1630 to get through it, but she kept her head and just kept plowing until she got done. In the end, she squeaked by. The navigational mass gave her the most trouble, but she passed. It seemed only fair that I grant it to her as well. When Mr. Herring relieved her at 1745, I sat behind him, and we had a bit of a chat about his future aboard. I opened the conversation by stating the obvious. You didn't want to take any of the rating exams, Mr. Herring. I didn't see the point, Captain. I'm already rated Able Spacer, and I don't really care for all that specialization stuff. Would you like to be Able Spacer here instead of Ordinary, Mr. Herring? Well, sure, Captain. He looked at me. What do I have to do? Help out while we're in port. Day work sometimes when we're underway. As it is, we dock, you go ashore, and come back in time to get underway again. You might have noticed that we've got a lot to do when we're docked to make sure the ship's ready to take on passengers. I was surprised, Captain. We appreciated the help, Mr. Herring. Keep that up, and I'll give you the promotion to Abel. That's it, sir? Yes, Mr. Herring. You can still go out at night, but if you help out during the day, that's really all I ask. It might be nothing but hanging around drinking coffee and eating bonbons, but sometimes it'll be cleaning or painting. Nothing too strenuous as a rule. Just having another set of eyes sometimes makes all the difference. He looked at me, disbelief on his face. That doesn't seem like much, Sar. Every little bit helps, Mr. Herring. Okay, Sar. I'll try it out when we get to Diurnia, and you can let me know after that. Very fair, Mr. Herring. Thank you. I headed down the ladder for a fast stop in my cabin before dinner mess. I washed some of the day's grime off my face and pondered again the problem of the leak among the crew. I still had no clear way to deal with it, short of firing the lot of them. The chrono clicked up to 1800, and I stepped out of the cabin on my way to the galley, just in time to see the elder Miss Lockhart being squired out of Mr. Tharp's compartment. She started when she saw me, and her hand went to the top button of her blouse. I smiled and nodded to them as Mr. Tharp offered her his arm. I continued on to the galley, musing over how right Miss Maloney had been about the power of a good mattress and a view of the stars. Some of our passengers weren't waiting for the honeymoon to try it out. When I got to the galley, Ms. Hawkshaw and the younger Ms. Lockhart waited at the table with Ms. Arioni. Technically, it wasn't proper shipboard etiquette for them to be seated before the captain, but, but we established early on that they need not stand on ceremony, in this case literally, for me. Mr. Tharp escorted the elder Ms. Lockhart into the galley, releasing her arm and allowing her to enter before him. Her daughter gave a friendly nod and went back to her discussion with Ms. Arioni. They talked about some finer point of either 
quantum physics or a band they knew in common. I couldn't be sure which, based on the context of their conversation. Miss Hawkshaw beamed at me, her face glowing and her brown eyes bright and dancing. She was a handsome woman, and I hoped Mr. Herring valued the education she gave him. I suspected that, like most callow youths, he would not until much later in life. I knew it took me several stanniers before I valued my own education. The chief came shambling into the galley just as Ms. Maloney declared the dinner mess open, and we started passing food, family-style, around the table. There was an air of celebration, our passengers aware of the ratings exams that Ms. Arione and Ms. Maloney had taken. As the dinner progressed, I found myself enjoying the larger group. They seemed very nice people, each on their way to somewhere else, each passing the time the best way they could and appearing to enjoy the unique capabilities of the iris. In spite of myself, I couldn't help thinking how much I wanted someone to share it with myself. The thought of sapphire eyes laughing by my side brought a sudden and unexpected lump to my throat that coffee couldn't wash away. I sighed quietly to myself, I thought, although Ms. Maloney must have heard because she shot me a questioning glance. I shrugged and pretended to listen to what Ms. Hawkshaw was saying. After dinner, I didn't stay around for movie night choosing to leave the festivities to the passengers and crew to enjoy without my august presence among them. Instead, I went to my cabin, opened the port and sat on my bunk, staring out into the deep dark and remembering. Chapter 63, Nyernia Orbital, March 23, 2373. For the first time, we docked in Diurnia with neither cargo nor passengers booked for an outbound leg. If any of the crew noticed, I didn't say anything, but I had a certain sense of foreboding. The 90-day note that Lark, Simpson, and Green floated was due on the 26th. It took on an almost physical presence looming above me. In theory, the accounting company would take ownership of the collateral because I didn't have the 8.5 million credits needed to sink the loan. On the plus side, my understanding of the deal was that they would just get ownership of a share for a substantially discounted price, since every other share had a book value of $10 million. On top of that, I needed to fire Chief Bailey, find a new chief engineer, and only then could I begin looking for cargoes and passengers again, assuming I still owned a ship. I dropped a note to Mr. Simpson as soon as we docked. He had given me good advice while founding the company, and I hoped he had more of it. That still left me with the task of getting the cargo and passengers ashore, clearing up my personal issues, and the little problem of having a snitch in the woodwork. Mr. Tharp left the ship almost as soon as we docked and cleared Confederation Customs. "'Goodbye, Captain,' he said, as I let him out the lock. "'It was a very pleasant trip, and I'm sure you're going to do very well in your new effort.' There was a twinkle in his eye, and I chalked that up to his extra hours activity with the very charming elder Miss Lockhart. "'Thank you, Mr. Tharp. I hope we get to sail together again.' He grinned and nodded. "'It could happen, Captain. It's a small universe.' He turned, and his grav trunks followed him down the ramp and out onto the dock, leaving me to button up. "'Our first full day in port?' saw the normal amount of to-and-fro with cargo handlers. None of the remaining passengers seemed inclined to go ashore too early, and I wondered if I would have to kick them off to clear them out before noon. I wanted them off the ship before I dealt with the chief. Around 10.30, the Lockharts checked out. I opened the lock for them while they said their goodbyes to Miss Maloney. The elder Miss Lockhart fairly glowed, while the younger considered her mother with a certain level of disdain. The elder looked unconcerned and twitted her daughter for the disapproving looks with silent smirks. Thank you, Captain, the elder shook my hand firmly. She seemed much more confident than when coming aboard, and even her voice sounded more relaxed, a half-tone lower. It was a marvelous voyage. With a sly glance at her daughter, she added, And so fast, I wouldn't have minded another night or two. That was too much for the younger, 
who moaned in the time-honored teen tradition, Mother! The elder chuckled and with a last nod to Ms. Maloney dragged their grav trunk off the ship, leaving the younger to scamper to keep up. They reached the dock safely and waved as I lifted the ramp once more. Well, she certainly enjoyed herself, Ms. Maloney said. Muriel, I asked. Yes, maybe not as much fun as Miss Hawkshaw, but I think it was close. Did I hear my name? Miss Hawkshaw's voice came from the ladder. We turned to find her picking her way elegantly down as if the metal rungs were the staircase in a grand ballroom. Mr. Herring trailed behind. Her elegantly tailored gray walking suit was highlighted with a peach-colored silk blouse, tastefully unbuttoned to display without being obscene. Miss Hawkshaw gave Miss Maloney the ritual dual-cheek air kiss. Good luck, my dear. Excellent food. Wonderful service. Oh, thank you so much, Miss Hawkshaw. It was great fun having you with us. Miss Hawkshaw turned to me. Captain, thank you so much for the voyage. I can't remember when I've had a more relaxing trip. That passage from Greenfields is so dreary. She offered her hand and clasped mine in both of hers when I took it. You've got a wonderful crew, and I don't just mean this dear boy. She tossed her head to where Mr. Herring waited with a blush creeping up his neck. She leaned in to confide in me with a stage whisper loud enough to be heard on the docks. A man would be a fool to let her get away. She arched her eyebrow in Ms. Maloney's direction. A fool, she repeated with a wink and a nod. She patted my hand. You take care, Captain. Safe voyage, Miss Hawkshaw. She smiled once more and beckoned Mr. Herring to follow her off the ship. He shot me an alarmed look, but followed her. She stopped at the foot of the ramp and turned to him, pointing to the decking where he deposited her grav trunk. She helped herself to one last kiss. Then, with a happy wave and smile back to us, she took the handle of the grav trunk and sailed down the dock. Mr. Herring stood and watched her go for a few heartbeats and then realized that we were watching him. He gave an embarrassed grin and hurried back aboard. Sorry about that, Captain. Sorry about what, Mr. Herring? He nodded at the departing woman. Her. She's rather uninhibited at times, sir. He coughed and looked at his boots. Ms. Maloney chuckled and headed back up the ladder. I keyed the lock closed and followed. I found the crew gathered in the galley and marveled again at how quiet the ship sounded when all the passengers were gone. It hadn't seemed so empty before we started carrying guests, each new addition to the crew adding a bit of noise, a spark of life to the ship. Those sparks seemed to ignite when passengers came aboard, and I mused about that as I drew my coffee. When I turned back to look at them, I saw everybody looking at me expectantly. We're going to be here a few days, at least, I said. I don't know if I'll still have the ship after the 26th. I need to meet with Lark Simpson and Green about the outstanding note. We haven't earned enough to satisfy it, so I'm going to have to default, and I have no idea what that'll do to our ability to get underway. I looked around at the faces looking up at me. Only Mr. Herring's expression carried any surprise, but Chief Bailey's scowl had turned calculating. Whatever happens, thanks. This trip from Greenfields was the best yet, and I hope we'll still be sailing in a week. That's about it for now. I'll declare liberty for anybody who wants to go ashore. I looked at Mr. Herring. I'm going to get some sleep, he said. That broke the spell, and they stopped staring at me and started looking at each other. I headed for the cabin and stopped at the chief's chair. Would you join me in the cabin, chief? He roused himself with a start. Oh, aye, Cap, that I will. He followed me, and I could feel the others go silent as we left the galley. I led him into the cabin and closed the door behind us. Have a seat, chief. I nodded at the extra chair and sat myself at my desk. Thank you, Cap. What can I do for you? Clean out your gear, chief. He looked at me. You sure you want to do that, Cap? He asked, arching his eyebrow, not exactly as a threat, but not really a query either. 
No, no, I'm not, Chief. But I can't have you as my chief engineer. Why not, Cap? Haven't I done what you asked? Chief, the fact you can ask me that tells me I'm making the right decision. You did not do what I asked, even after asking several times. It's a small ship, and the engineer is the only other officer. I know you have some ancillary duties involving Ms. Maloney, but that doesn't excuse your not filling the tanks, not ordering spares, failing to keep the inventories up to date, or ignoring my orders to fix the things on our punch list. The only initiative you've demonstrated since coming aboard is stretching your legs and keeping your coffee cup filled, as far as I've seen. His scowl deepened and his mouth twisted into an angry grimace. You think you can fire me that easy, Cap? His voice was a low growl, and much of his patois melted away. You think I work for you? You're on my ship's roster as chief engineer. As such, you do work for me. Because of that, I can withdraw that employment at will, and for no other cause than I want to, chief. I looked at him. I'm probably not being fair to you, and I suspect I've failed in this management challenge. The bottom line on the exercise is that, right or wrong, fair or not, I have to do what I think is best for the safety of the ship and the crew. That means keeping the ship in port until I can find a chief engineer I can work with. You're not it. I think Ms. Maloney may have something to say about that, Captain. See if she don't. He added a smirk to his scowl. Good idea. I went to the door and crossed to the galley. Ms. Maloney, would you join us, please? She sighed but nodded. Of course, Captain. She followed me back to the cabin and I closed the door again. Miss Maloney, I've just dismissed Chief Bailey. He thinks you'll have something to say about it. Given your relationship with him, I think he may be correct. I looked at her. Would you like some privacy to discuss your security options? That won't be necessary, Captain. She turned to the Chief. Goodbye, Chief. The Chief looked up at her sharply. What? You can't fire me. I don't work for you. I'm not firing you, Chief. As far as I know, you still work for the company, and I don't. Ames Jarvis has made it clear that I'm on my own by blocking my funding, cutting me off from my assets, and generally making my life as difficult as he can under the guise of fulfilling the terms of my father's will. Then what? He looked very confused. As you pointed out, you don't work for me, Chief, and now you don't work for Captain Huang either. Since I'm also cut off from the assets and support of DST, that likewise means you have no standing with me. Goodbye, Chief. Good luck with your future assignments. He bounced to his feet. After all we've been through, you're just going to kick me to the dock? His patois disappeared completely in his distress. Her expression softened a bit. Chief, thank you for looking out for me over the Staniers. A lot of things have changed in the last few weeks. One of them is me. Under the circumstances, I can no longer accept your protection. This is insane. What will you do for security? His scowl deepened even more, and he practically snarled. You can't be thinking of using that little girl. His arm shot out, pointing in the direction of the galley. Her face went hard, and her eyes fairly glittered. I'm obviously not making myself understood here, Chief. Ames Jarvis has seen to it that I cannot afford personal security on my own. I'm going to have to stay aboard or go without until the terms of the will are satisfied. But that's why he's paying me to stay with you, Christine. You need me. No, Chief, I don't. Her words were flat and final. She turned to me. Anything else, Captain? No, Miss Maloney, thank you. She nodded and left the cabin, closing the door behind her. Now, Chief, we're going to go pack up your compartment, then collect your toolbox, and then you're going to leave my ship. You're making a huge mistake, Captain. Without a doubt, Chief, but it's mine to make, and added to the list of mistakes I've already made, I'm guessing it's not going to add a lot to the total. His scowl relaxed, and his face took on a sly cast. 
We'll see about that, Captain. He offered no further objections or argument, clearing his compartment in a flurry of thrown garments and personal effects. I was actually a bit surprised by how little he had unpacked. With his grav trunk loaded, I escorted him to the lock where he dropped it to the deck and we went to engineering for his tool chest. He didn't have to pack anything there, just grabbed the handle and dragged it back through stores and out to the lock. I keyed the lock open for him. Standard terms of termination, one month separation for each year of service, but since you've been aboard less than a full quarter, I'll give you two weeks. I'd caution you against using me as a reference. He glared at me and towed his gear down the ramp to the dock. I keyed the lock closed, then pulled up my tablet and removed his access to the ship net. With that chore done, I dropped the prepared message into the station net to advertise the opening for a chief engineer. Copies went to the Union Hall and to a few of the places I knew where officers watched for job news. With a sigh that was part resignation and part relief, I headed up the ladder to the first deck and saw Ms. Maloney standing in the doorway at the end of the passage. She beckoned me and I went to see what she needed. I came to change the linens, Captain. She pointed to a small pile of towels and bedding on the deck. When I went to strip the bunk, she handed me a tablet. This was under the corner by the head of the bed. Something in her expression seemed at odds with the matter-of-fact rendition. When I picked it up, I must have bumped the on switch. I looked at the display, opened to a collection of digitals. I felt funny poking about in the chief's personal data until I realized the pictures looked familiar. Every single digital that we had seen in the newsies, and dozens, if not hundreds more, flashed by as I flipped the scroll. I stopped on a familiar image, the one showing us coming out of Jimmy Chins that had been captioned Playboy Flyboy. That's why it looked wrong, I muttered. What, Captain? When you showed me this photo, it stuck with me because there's something not right here. I showed her the picture. In the uncropped original, it became even more clear because the left side of the frame showed a shoulder that had to have been Miserioni's. Whoever took this picture was walking right beside Miserioni. That angle bothered me because it almost had to be coming from directly in front of us, and the only ones there were the chief and Miss Arione. I never put it together before. How far back do they go, Captain? Her voice chilled the compartment. I continued to scroll, and after a couple of ticks, I still hadn't reached the first one. I don't know, Miss Maloney, at least three Staniers. The weasel. All the time he's claiming to be protecting me from paparazzi, he's taking my pictures and selling them? Looks like we won't be having that problem anymore. The lock clacks and buzzed, and I sighed. Now what? I nodded to Ms. Maloney. Thanks. We'll figure out what to do about security. Don't worry about it, Captain. I'm beginning to think they're more trouble than they're worth. She gave me a rueful grin. I headed down to the lock and peeked out the port. Chief Bailey stood outside, fury on his face. Just as he reached for the klaxon again, I keyed the lock open. He stormed aboard, arrowing straight for the ladder. I forgot my tablet. He snapped over his shoulder. Do tell. While he pounded up over the ladder, I keyed the delete all function and watched while the photographs disappeared. I closed the application and shut it off. It probably wouldn't mean much. Anybody with half a brain would have a backup somewhere. Tablets were just too prone to failure. I heard the stamping footsteps coming back and looked up as he dashed down the ladder. Where is it? I held it out. This? He snatched it out of my hand and switched it on. You erased it? Spittle flew out of his mouth in his anger. Erased what? I asked. All my photographs. He shook the tablet in my face. This is private property. You had no right. No right to what, Mr. Bailey? To erase illegal surveillance photographs? Destroying evidence? You're probably right. Would you like me to call orbital security? He growled in his frustration and turned to storm off the ship. 
I keyed the lock closed behind him again and turned to see Ms. Maloney standing at the top of the ladder. She looked at me curiously as I climbed up to meet her. You gave it back to him? Yes, Miss Maloney, but he claims I erased all his photos. She started to laugh and hid the grin behind a hand. Chapter 64 Diurnia Orbital, March 24, 2373 The three of us shared a quiet lunch while Mr. Herring slept. If the ship had seemed quiet before, it fairly echoed with the sounds of the past while we ate. What will you do about security, Chris? Ms. Arione finally asked over dessert. Ms. Maloney shrugged. After this morning, I'm seriously beginning to wonder at the wisdom of it myself. You have to admit, I said, it really gave him job security. Every so often he'd leak a photo of you to the newsies with some suitably lurid detail and poof, evidence that you need protection against invasion of privacy. Ms. Maloney shook her head. I still can't believe it. She sighed and looked at me. So what do we do now, Captain? Well, we can't do anything without a chief engineer. Until I hear from Lark, Simpson, and Green, I can't in good conscience hire a new engineer. Why not? Miss Maloney asked. Miss Arione leaned over to her. Because there might not be a ship after the note expires. Oh, there'll be a ship, I said with a grin. We may not own it, though. What's securing the note? Miss Maloney asked. One of the shares of preferred that we used to finance the startup. When one of the investors backed out at the last minute, Lark, Simpson, and Green floated a note based on the value of that share. Let me guess, she said. It was just about enough for you to get the ship and have a little left over, and he was unable to find a new buyer quickly. Right the first time. You'll have the ship, Captain. Don't worry about it. You sound pretty certain, Miss Maitland. She nodded. I am. Just remember this phrase. Don't begrudge us our profit. Really? Oh, yes. She looked back and forth between a skeptical-looking Ms. Arione and a more skeptical-looking me. So, we need an engineer. Where do we get an engineer? I've posted it on the station net. Ms. Maloney and Ms. Arione traded some kind of look between them that I couldn't interpret, but they stopped when they noticed I noticed. Something? I asked. No, sir. Ms. Arione answered much too quickly, and I was immediately suspicious. Unfortunately, I was distracted by my tablet. The reply from William Simpson arrived with an appointment for the following morning. Well, we'll know by tomorrow night, I announced. What's that, Captain? Whether or not you're right about the ship, Miss Maloney. Well, I'll place a replenishment order this afternoon. We should have spares up to snuff by tomorrow, Captain. Shall we go out to dinner tonight? Miss Arione perked up at that. Let's. We missed going out at Greenfields. Okay. Where? Not the pub on O2, please. Marcel's, Miss Maloney suggested. Miss Arione made a surprised O sound and looked first at Miss Maloney and then at me. Could we, Captain? Can we even get in there? I don't know why not, Miss Arione. Would you like me to make the reservation, Captain? I can message Julian and have it set up for some time unfashionably early. Miss Maloney grinned across the table. Does 1900 work for you? She shrugged and turned to Miss Arione. Stacy? Miss Arione nodded eagerly. Should we ask Perk? I'll make the reservation for party of four, Miss Maloney said with a smile. If he doesn't want to come, then they won't mind. So what will you do this afternoon, Captain? Ms. Arione asked as Ms. Maloney got busy with her tablet. Paperwork, Ms. Arione. Always paperwork. The reservation is set, Captain. I blinked at her. That was fast. I know Julian's private address. We adjourned the luncheon after a quick cleanup, and I left the two of them with their heads together in the galley. In my cabin, I fired up the console and began working. First order of business was topping off the tanks. 
If Ms. Maloney were correct, then we would have a ship, and I wanted to be ready to go. In less than a quarter stand, I had the machinery in motion and moved on to another task. For weeks, we'd chased cargo with no plan. Whatever looked good, we took. It worked out all right, but the truth was we had cargo space going begging, and I had no idea what the cargo patterns looked like in the remote outposts of the quadrant. The archives on the cargo availabilities were a matter of public record. I grabbed about a stanier's worth and started analyzing cube cargo shipments and priority horizons. It took some fumbling about for me to find what I needed to know, in large part because I was trying to remember a lot of my cargo analysis courses from the academy. I made a lot of mistakes. What I discovered was that while a lot of priorities went to Greenfields, the most valuable ones went to Martha's Haven. Unfortunately, those valuable cargoes constituted a tiny fraction of the traffic and occurred only a few times in the Stanier's worth of data. Eventually, I found that Kazyanenko had the most reliable revenue stream leaving Diurnia with cubed container cargo, and a simulation running Kazyanenko against Greenfields had Kazyanenko outperforming by about 30%. I had to get the data from Kazyanenko to find out what happened after that, but I wanted to create the most effective circuit for generating revenues. Zooming in, grabbing whatever paid best at the moment, and zooming out was not a good long-term strategy for the ship particularly if it meant I missed out on a better cargo because I booked a load too early. I hoped to develop a kind of triangle trade or perhaps some other route that would put us on a regular path around the quadrant and not the catch-as-catch-can route we'd followed so far. A couple of stands' worth of research gave me a lot of things to think about, and looking at the chrono, I realized I needed to get cleaned up. Dinner would be a stand later than I was used to, but I had reached a point where a hot shower sounded heavenly. I secured my console and left my tablet on the desk while I stripped down and patted into the head. The shower soothed me, and I felt much more human when I finished getting cleaned up and climbed into one of my sets of civvies. The chrono clicked up to 1800, so I slipped into a pair of shoes, scooped up my tablet and IDs, and crossed to the galley where I found all three of my crew hunched over their own tablets and reading furiously. Before I could ask, my own tablet bipped, and I opened to 48 unread messages. What the... You won't... Believe it, Skipper, Miserioni called without looking up. I started scanning down through the messages, and every one seemed to have the same base request. When are you leaving and can I go? A few mentioned a specific port, but most didn't seem to care where we were going as long as they could go with us. I looked up to see the crew had finished reading and were all looking at me. My inbox seemed to have suddenly overflowed with people wanting to take a trip with us. Does anybody here know why? My tablet bipped again. Another incoming message. Room with a view, Skipper, Miss Arione answered brightly. I'm sure that means something in context, Miss Arione. Care to share? She held up her tablet. We got written up. I've been written up many times, Miss Arione, and it has never been a good thing before. My tablet pipped twice more. Miss Maloney took her hand from covering her mouth to explain. A travelogue article featured us, Captain. Apparently one of our guests was on assignment after all. My tablet bipped again. The wanderer rode with us, Captain, Ms. Arione crowed. I took a seat and looked around at them as my tablet bipped three more times. Show me. Ms. Arione flipped her tablet around and scrolled to the top of the page. I picked it up and looked it over, leaving my own tablet to bip randomly on the table. The title read, A Room with a View by The Wanderer. Some of what Ms. Arione had been saying began to make sense. I scanned the rather glowing article briefly, noting that the author gave us four and a half stars, and then looked around the table as my tablet bipped a few more times. In frustration, I reached over and clicked it off. 
I don't get out much, Miss Maloney. Who is this wanderer, and what's going on? She grinned and took pity on me. The local media outlet here has a semi-regular feature bylined The Wanderer. Usually they visit resorts, hotels, liners. The reviews are generally amusing and very much in demand among a certain set. The Wanderer pulls no punches, and if you look back through the archives, you'll find that mostly he or she is very hard to please. Ms. Arione jumped back into the conversation. I bet it was that Ms. Hawkshaw. Mr. Herring looked up at the name. This doesn't sound like her. Oh, Perk, it has to be. She makes it sound like a romantic getaway. I think it sounds just like her. He shook his head. All this atmosphere and cuisine and comfort and stuff? I bet it was Muriel Lockhart. She sure had a romantic getaway. Ms. Arione gave him an exasperated look. It felt good not being on the receiving end of it for a change. She was here with her daughter. How romantic is that? Well, maybe, but you've got to admit it's a good cover if she's the wanderer. While they nattered, I read in more depth. The article had just been published, according to the date timestamp on it. The author gave us a very nice review. Ms. Maloney got high praise and was described as a classically trained French chef lurking incognito in a restaurant with no fixed address. I snickered to myself at that. The fast transit time, the large ports in the compartments, and the romantically charged atmosphere all got prominent billing. I have to admit, if I didn't know it was us, I'd want to go too, I told him. But who do you think it was, Ms. Arione pressed. It could have been any of them, including Sam Lockhart. She had plenty of time to observe, and nobody paid her too much attention except you, Miss Arione. She shook her head. I still think it was Barbara Hawkshaw. I finished reading, and when I got to the end of the article, the last line gave it away. Could be, Miss Arione. It's a small universe. I grinned and let them argue for a while before I stood up and clapped my hands, rubbing them together. Well, we have reservations for dinner. Shall we go? Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Dorendas, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. license. For more information about the book, the author, or the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.